Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about what's going on in hockey and also what's going on in hockey cards. So uh, this is our first episode in about two weeks. I've been a bit sick this past week or so, but I'm on the mend. I'm almost better. So, yeah, a week ago, I just didn't have it in me, didn't have the energy, was just tired and sleeping a lot. But, uh, you know, doing the thing that you do when you get sick, what do you do? You stay home, you rest, you get better and almost better. Not 100%. We'll see. We'll see how uh, if I can um, keep it going for for the duration of this show. Uh, Tim, how are you doing? Well, my name wasn't in the obituary this morning, so I'm all right. That's always a good sign, right? Yeah, started off the day good, so I can continue planning my world takeover. Yes, the world takeover. I like that. You know, one thing I I joke around with people, especially people younger than me, is when I have another birthday, I say it's another year of not being a statistic. And they laugh. But then I said, well, think about it. I said, there's so many dumb ways to die in this world. And it's another year I managed to avoid that. You know what I mean? Like getting hit by a bus when I cross the street or some random piano falling out of a building and flattening me or something. You know what I mean? Like all those stupid things that can happen and and avoiding that. So, yeah, any day you're out of the uh, obits is a good day. Remember that show that used to be on Spike TV, A Thousand Ways to Die? No. Did you ever watch that? Oh, that was a good one. It was kind of like dark humor but mm-hmm. it was uh like an anthology of different ways that people could die it was on for quite a few seasons back mm-hmm. in the day probably like 08 09 10 somewhere around in that that ring now i do yeah. remember the megadeth song 99 ways to die yeah that's from the uh beavis and butthead soundtrack wasn't yes it? beavis and butthead was a do america soundtrack i think so or was it the Beavis and Butthead Experience, which wasn't really a soundtrack per se, oh, but it yeah, was... yeah, yeah, I think it was that one. Because I you didn't know, have the other one. I had that one. Funny that we should mention that because when I was sick, I actually binge watched Beavis and Butthead. Because what? you know when you're like you're tired but you don't want to sleep, so you're on the couch and it's just daytime TV nonsense. And I know, like, one day all I did was watch reruns of the previous night's hockey games. Like, I was on the couch, I was wrapped in a blanket, shivering, sweating, shivering, sweating, watching hockey. And then, like, the next day, I'm like, I don't want to watch any hockey reruns. Because then that night I watched hockey. So then I was just like, I don't want to watch the games that I just watched the night before. So then I go on to, like, it was a Paramount Plus streaming service. And they had Beavis and Butthead. And they I was had the say, very, what, what service was that on? Because I don't know that I've ever seen it. Paramount Plus, and it, they had the very early episodes, like the ones that that got cut from circulation for a while because it's a fire and stuff like that. It was great, man. It was like thirty years ago. I remember watching those, you know, when they were first run on MTV in nineteen ninety two, because they'd be on at like eight or nine o'clock at night. I remember, but yeah, so. All right, Beavis and Butthead references, great. Got so that even, out of the way. They even play the, uh, they even play like all the band episodes too, or are those still banned? I think they did play the band episodes. I don't know. I just watched the earliest ones and then just worked my way up. I mean, I saw the one where they, um, 
where they were huffing paint thinner and then they like they stole the uh, lawnmower and were like going on a rampage the home improvement episode home improvement one yeah yeah that um, thing was if you ever see the original one man the one that actually aired it they hacked the crap out of that <laughs> like it's there's they did so much editing they might have they might have done a lot of editing because when I you know at the end of the credits it said copyright two thousand five so these were like re edited versions they didn't have the music videos that they made fun of anyway let's talk hockey yeah let's do it we actually got through a hockey season and it took us until the first day of May with all those games that got postponed and postponed and rescheduled. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And all the COVID outbreaks and stuff like that. And yet the NHL pulled it off. They said they were going to do it and they did it. It's kind of, um, I don't want to say a miracle. It's just more like just being really stubborn. Yeah, I wouldn't use the term miracle either. But I mean, they they set out by hook or by crook. They were going to have it completed. And they mm-hmm. had multiple different contingency plans. And what, what are we going to do if we go to the Olympics? And what are we going to do about the All-Star break? And what are we going to do about this? And if we have to push this time and be playing regular season games, I mean, really, this is almost normal. I mean, not every team benefited, obviously. I'm looking at you, Islanders. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, a lot of people pick the Islanders as going to the Stanley Cup finals, if not winning it, at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And that didn't come to fruition because of those very things. They started on the road for a ton of games and then COVID and illnesses and everything else pretty much wrecked their wrecked their season. But all in all, I'm glad we got through it. That's for sure. That was a, a crazy last day of hockey. Uh, well, we'll say that Friday was the last day. I know we had a game on Sunday, but for all intents and purposes, it was um, Friday. Because I remember, like, First, the Buffalo Sabres were like, okay, we're going to do something really crazy. We're going to have our injured goaltender, Malcolm Subban, sing the national anthem. And that'll be totally, totally crazy, right? And then the Anaheim Ducks were like... He wasn't a bad singer either. Nope. But then the Ducks were like, hold our beer. Because we're going to use an emergency backup goaltender. Well, I don't think they planned it that way. Oh, and then the NHLPA was like, oh, yeah, and uh, we're going to replace Donald Fair. But we're saying this at 7 o'clock at night on a Friday because we just don't want anybody to notice. Yeah, and what did we say in the last show? I think I repeated it it multiple times. There's no way he's going to have a job. No. No. Yeah. No. So there it went. Okay, so yeah, Subban. How about that? Malcolm yeah, Subban. Yeah, the Subban. He did thing. good. I didn't see it live. I heard about it. Actually, I saw his brother's tweet about it and with the video. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And I clicked on it. And I'm like, holy crap, Malcolm Subban's singing the national anthem. But you know, what was funny was when I saw that, so I didn't see the beginning of that game. It was a Blackhawks-Sabres game. It was also Rick Jenneret's last game that he called as the Sabres play-by-play guy. I remember, like, I think I I picked up, like, during first intermission or something, and I had the TV on mute. And then I, like, looked, and I'm like, why the hell is Malcolm Subban singing? Like, I didn't even know he was singing the anthem. I, I recognized who he was, and I knew he was with the Sabres, but I see him holding a microphone, and I'm like, was he singing today? And then I, like, unmute it, and they're like, oh, yeah, he sang the anthem. And I'm like, 
that's kind of cool. It wasn't like a novelty thing either, where it's like, oh, we're going to have this guy sing, and it's like a total joke or anything. He actually right. sounded good. That's a hard yeah. song to sing. It's not a song yeah. that, like, anybody can take lightly. I think Frank Sinatra famously said, ask a hundred singers, and a hundred of them will tell you that they hate singing that song. It's not an easy song to sing. So, Suban sings the national anthem, and then a couple hours later... You got the Ducks versus the Dallas Stars. They're playing in Dallas. Starter John Gibson gets hurt. Backup Anthony Stolarz ends the second period. He's hurt. So then they pull in the E-Bug, who's on the payroll of the Dallas Stars, because it's a Stars game, so they have to provide the emergency backup. Thomas Hodges. He comes out. He makes a save or two. I don't know if it was one save or two saves. I'm seeing conflicting reports. But then he also was three shots and two saves. Yeah, okay, that sounds about right. NHL.com's been really slow to add him to their database of players, which is like, come on, NHL. It's been like a couple days now, and he's actually the goaltender of record because he unfortunately allowed the losing goal. So that goes down as a loss, not just as an appearance of 19 minutes, but he actually now has a record of zero wins. One loss, zero shootout losses. So since he becomes the goalie of record, and I'm sure there's been another one, but I couldn't think of one. Has there been another goalie born in England? I couldn't think of one. No, the only player I could think of from England that I could think of is Steve Thomas. Not saying he's the only NHL player from England, but I remember Steve Thomas was from England, or is from England. Suppose I could use the handy-dandy look-up machine over here. Yeah, and I remember Steve Smith was from Scotland, which I thought was cool, because both those guys played on the Blackhawks. So we had a guy who was from England, and we had a guy who was from Scotland. And I actually remember in NHL 98 for PlayStation, you could play as international teams, and Great Britain was one of the teams, and Steve Thomas was on that team, which didn't really make sense because he was like a Canadian citizen. Just because he was born in England doesn't mean he would like play in the Olympics necessarily for England. And we're talking about a video game that's like 25 years old now. So anyway, so uh, yeah, Tom Hodges from England, Blind in his left eye, he was injured when he was 12. So, obviously, if you lose your vision in one eye, it's really hard to play pro sports. I mean, Willie O'Ree did it for a number of years, but he didn't tell anybody that he was blind in one eye when he did it. He just went out and and played. Um, it's hard to stop a but, puck when you can't see it. Right. I mean, and if you close one eye, you you have less peripheral vision then. You know what I mean? But yeah, he got to live out his dream and play almost 20 minutes of a game. I mean, he played the full third period. They pulled him to try to even up the score. It's always cool to see that sort of thing. But I think this is the only e-bug we've had all season. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. And I mean, the reason is, is because with COVID these past couple of years, we have not had e-bugs as much because... A lot of teams have either had three goalies on their roster or they'd have a taxi squad. So a lot of times they had that third goalie like waiting in the wings. Like usually, you know, teams, they have two goalies, they have two goalies, they have two goalies. One goalie gets injured and then it's like, uh oh, we need to call up our guy from the farm team. Right. Or uh oh, we're 
all the way across the country from where our farm team is located. Okay, we got a junior kid that we drafted. Let's call him up on an emergency basis to be the backup for that game. They usually have a plan in place, or uh, in this case with COVID, they'd always have a third string goalie, again, like a taxi squad or somebody like that who could fill in on pretty short notice. So you almost didn't need e-bugs, you know? I say you didn't need them, but they didn't really come into play like they have more so in the previous years. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, because if you're an e-bug and you're hoping to play, you want the other team to just have two goalies and not like two goalies and a third goalie who's sitting next to you in the press box, also waiting his turn. So um, to bring up the errors and omissions department, mm-hmm. I found three goaltenders born in England. Okay. One of them, I don't know how I couldn't think of this, was Byron Defoe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord Byron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And another one, Daniel Taylor. Don't remember him. Uh, Daniel Taylor played four games in the NHL for the Kings between 2008 and 2018. Hmm. Um, and the other one would be Chris Worthy, who played 26 games for the Oakland Seals. Back in the late 60s, early 70s. Wow. Other than that, there were a few other UK goaltenders, but I was just thinking England by itself because I couldn't think of any. Byron mm-hmm. Defoe is obviously the most famous one. Because I was going to say, wow, he's he's an e-bug and he's from England. I'm like, I can't think of anybody from England. So so there, that's part of the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> I like that. So unfortunately... We lost another hockey legend with Guy Lafleur, and we didn't get a chance to talk about him last week because I was sick last week. So as much as I wanted to do a show, because we all love Guy Lafleur and we all want to talk about him, I just wasn't feeling up to it. But I'd still like to talk about Guy. Um, Absolutely. I didn't see Mike Bossy play, but of course I knew his accolades and stuff. And I think what made Guy really special is that he played. A long time in the NHL. I mean, he played from 71, 72 to 84, 85, started the 84, 85 season. And then he retired because he was having disagreements with his coach, Jacques Lemaire, who used to be his line mate in the 70s. And then when Lemaire retired, he became the coach. Lemaire, surprise, surprise, wants to focus more on defense, which is pretty much how Jacques Lemaire coached the Wild, and pretty much every team he's coached. It's been defense first. Guy didn't feel like he wanted to play that way, you know, and then he was criticized because he had an off year, because he had uh, an injury. And so he retired early in the 84-85 season. Goes into the Hall of Fame three years later when he's eligible in 88. But then that fall makes a comeback with the New York Rangers. So he makes a comeback with the Rangers, and he's in the Hall of Fame. And then he plays another two seasons with the Quebec Nordiques. And probably the main reason why he went to play with Quebec was because he played his junior hockey in Quebec uh, with the Quebec Citadels. So for him, it was kind of like this homecoming. I remember reading in the hockey news that Guy Lafleur was happy that he was going to get to play 
where it all started for him. You get to play in Le Colisee. And, you know, the other thing is that I found this out just while doing some reading, and I didn't know this before, so I'll share this with you all. The L.A. Kings actually offered Guy Lafleur the opportunity to play in Los Angeles. They offered him a million bucks because they wanted him to play with Gretzky. And that would have been the 89-90 season, and he declined because he wanted to play in Quebec, but he was almost a king, which is kind of cool if you think about it. I don't know that I've ever heard that story, but it doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, wouldn't that be something to see, put Gretzky and Lafleur together? That would have been neat. Lafleur could have easily played from 71-72 to 90-91, like continuously. He came, He made a comeback, and that's kind of a big deal. Uh, here's a little trivia question, and I know you're going to know the answers to these, but three players have made successful NHL comebacks after getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Guy Lafleur's one of them. The other two? Mario. Mario Lemieux and? Gordie Howe. Gordie Howe, right. So, I mean, that really puts him in some distinct company that he can retire. I didn't even have to look that up. No, I mean, they're pretty easy to know. I mean, but... Uh, brain busters? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. What what number is retired league-wide? Upside down 66. Upside down 66 is correct. We'd also accept 99 and 33 times 3. A couple of things. Guy Lafleur was my mom's favorite player back in the 70s. And when I got into hockey in the late 80s, and she was like, oh, you're into hockey now. Cool. Here's my hockey stuff. And she gave me some scrapbooks. And she had a Guy Lafleur scrapbook, which I was like, okay, wow, this is your favorite player, you know? And then she had like a Blackhawk scrapbook. She had some old hockey magazines. She had these old hockey caricature drawings. And she had a postcard that was signed by Guy Lafleur. And it was personalized nice. to her. It was signed on the back, but it was also signed on the front. And then there was like this return envelope, which he hand addressed. And then in the corner, it just said Guy Lafleur. I was just like, oh, this is really cool. You wrote to this player and he sent you this autograph. And she's like, oh, yeah, that was my favorite player when I was like 20. And so it was kind of cool that this player that she had watched was still active, albeit he retired for a few years. But then he came back the year I got into hockey and I think that's really one of the things that makes sports special is that it can be, or it is, I can't say it can be, it is cross-generational, where like the players that your parents like, you start to like, and sometimes you get to see them play. Sometimes you just hear about them. You know, I heard about Bobby Hull, never got to see him play. I heard about Tony Esposito, heard about Ken Dryden, heard about Stan Makita, Heard about Gordy Howe, heard about Bobby Clark, all these great players I never got to see, but I heard about. But it was cool to like hear about this player and how great he was and then still see him playing. And he's like close to 40 at this point. Um, and he's more of a mentor type of player. I mean, they tried to make him the team captain in Quebec and he said, no, 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 I don't want to be captain. I don't know if he wanted Joe Sackick to be captain, but he didn't want to be captain. He thought Joe Sackick should be captain. And then they wanted to send him to the all-star game, you know, when like coaches would like pick reserve players and he didn't want to, no, 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 no. He, he, he declined. He wanted them to send Joe Sackick. So like in 89-90 all-star game, Sackick was in that. And in the 90-91 all-star game, 
which was in Chicago Stadium, Sackick was in that too. But then the NHL was so upset that they didn't find a way to somehow include Guy Lafleur. Then they added this extra player called the President's Pick. So they added Bobby Smith and Guy Lafleur to either side to kind of honor like these older players who are like kind of late 30s and and legends. But maybe they should be in the All-Star game because they've accomplished so much, but they weren't because, you know, Mike Milbury's too busy picking um, Chris Dylan to be an All-Star. Or the guy who's coaching the uh, Oilers is picking, you know, 11 Oilers to be on the All-Star team because he's the All-Star coach that year. Yeah. It always amazes me to hear the stories about Guy Lafleur. I mean, there's so many of them that are out there from players and fans and and everybody that there's one common theme to all of them, and that's you probably never meet another more genuine person than he was. And, you know, there's a lot of athletes that put on a certain persona in, in public and that kind of thing, but the one thing that was always the same, no matter no matter what story you're listening to, is that what you saw is what you got with Guy Lafleur. He was always, you know, just this stand-up guy all the time. I mean, there's so many stories of him doing things outside of the rink. I mean, sure, you can look up his stats and see all the accolades that he received over his career, and there's a ton of them. Now, not to mention all the Stanley Cups, but, you know, it's the stuff off the ice. The fact that he was such an ambassador, not just for the Montreal Canadiens, but for hockey in general. And, you know, stories of him going to children's hospitals and visiting the kids and staying way longer than, you know, a lot of the other players would. You know, sometimes that's one of those things where, okay, you got to go do this. Okay, uh, I'll be there for 17 minutes. That's all they get. You know, Mm -hmm. he would stay. He would talk to everyone. He'd shake everyone's hand. You know, Liam McGuire told a story of how he basically had to go up and he wanted to go and visit this fan that was sick, but they were pretty far away and in like a remote, kind of a remote area. And I don't remember exactly where, but he brought a helicopter, just got in a helicopter and went to visit this guy. Wow. And it's like, I think he even had his helicopter license or he was trying to get it. At, at one point, but uh, yeah, so like stories like that. One story back in like the early 80s, he was sitting in a restaurant eating and he found out that there was a little kid on the other side of the restaurant that it was his birthday and he invited him and his whole family to come sit with him and eat. Like, mm. how many athletes do you hear about anymore that, or in the last how many years that, you know, can be put into that category of just going above and beyond? you know, for their fans and giving back to the sport that they were so great at. It's crazy the amount of stories of his generosity and goodwill that he just, you know, flooded the world with. It's a shame that shame that he passed away. You know, there were some issues that, that he had been dealing with, so uh, it's definitely, definitely unfortunate, that's for sure. Another Is lost he, lung cancer. Yeah, it makes you wonder, too, because you think back in, like, the early days, even up into the, the 90s, guys were always smoking. Tons of guys in the NHL were smoking. Guys would go down the in the hallways and smoke. They'd smoke in the mm-hmm. locker room. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was everywhere. 
it makes you how makes you wonder how much any of that contributed. I'm sure it did. Um, I'm not a scientist, but you can definitely guess that was part of it. But it's unfortunate, definitely unfortunate. And I know um, they had a ceremony over the weekend in Montreal, and he's been laid in laid in state. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, Monday and Tuesday for the public. You know, you're a pretty big deal when you they lay your body in state. Mm-hmm. At the rink or at yeah. the arena, they did yeah. that with Stan Makita in Chicago. I think they did that with Jean Beliveau too. Yeah, and Rocket Richard. Rocket Richard, yeah. And Howie Morens back in the day, 1930s. Now we're going way back, but yeah, I mean, really, really special players. You know, one thing I will bring up because uh, I always brought this up when Guy was among the living, so I'd be remiss to not bring it up now. Is that Guy Lafleur made a disco album in the late 1970s. Ah, uh, yes. Lafleur, as it's called. We could thank Jim Howard, one of our uh, Puck Junk guys, who alerted me to this a couple years ago. So it's this really strange album where most of the songs are like a disco beat with Guy Lafleur speaking. Not singing, but speaking, talking about hockey technique, whether it's how to tie your skates, how to fire a wrist shot, how to take a slap shot, whatever, right? Like there's like one song called Skating and one song called Shooting or whatever, right? But then there's two songs that are just songs, just like disco songs that don't have Guy in them. And I genuinely like those songs just because they're upbeat and fun. But uh, the Guy Lafleur songs, if you want to call them that, are just they're just so strange because it's like this disco music and then Guy Lafleur talking and then like backup singers going, shoot the puck or whatever. Tie your skates. It's 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 a little uh, it's a little out there. Yeah, it's a didn't little we odd. use didn't we use that as like an intro song on one episode? We used the song Power Play. Okay. The song Power Play. I thought we when did. I couldn't remember. When we reviewed the 93-94 Power Play set. Ah, okay. Yes. Yeah, I knew we did. I thought we did, and I couldn't remember exactly yeah. when that was. Yeah, I remember my, my uh, ex-girlfriend was annoyed by some of the songs on that. And, and for a while, I was a scorekeeper for her games when, when her women's team would play hockey. So if they won the game, I would play Power Play from the Lafleur album, and if nice. they lost, I would play Face Off from the Lafleur album because that was kind of a more sedate song, like "This is a Face Off," you know, very more, more kind of like uh, melodic and 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 more downbeat, right? So I I, I kind of had this thing figured out where like they won the game, so I'm going to play this upbeat song, and oh, they lost this game, so I'm going to play this more downbeat song, and. She'd be like, you know, I hate those songs. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. You guys won. So everybody else is enjoying this Le Fleur disco song. You're the only one who's not. What does that tell you? My introduction to Guy Le Fleur was not early on at all. In fact, I bare, I'll be honest, I barely knew who the guy was when I started watching hockey. Mm-hmm. The only reason why my ears perked up and I paid attention was because he was Mario Lemieux's favorite player. Mm. And, you know, Mario modeled his game after Guy. And one of my favorite photos, and one day I will have this photo and I will blow it up and I will hang it on my wall. But there was a photo taken by 
Uh, I think his name was Doug Ball. I think it's the Montreal Gazette or one of the Montreal newspapers. And he took a photo of Guy waving to the crowd on the bench when he got his thousandth point mm-hmm. back in 1981. And so, you know, here he is on the bench waving to the crowd as the crowd's giving him a standing ovation. And, you know, you got all the other Montreal players kind of sitting along the thing. But in the picture, there's an upper section where you see about three or four rows of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of guys that are standing directly behind him. One of them in a black suit, which I guess you can't tell what color they are because it's a black and white photo. But one looks like he's in a black suit and the other guy looks like he is in kind of like a tweed color or maybe a lighter color sport jacket but mm-hmm. anyway they're like standing there clapping and if you look close enough the guy in the black blazer or black suit is mario lemieux when he was 14 years old and standing next to him was one of his teammates from back when he used to play and also a teammate on the penguins at one point pierre larouche mm. yeah but he's like 14 or 15 in the picture Wow. It looks just like him. If you ever have a chance to see the picture, it's a really cool photo just because of everybody that's in the photo shot. Right, right. So it's really cool. And one day I'll have it, but I don't have it now. I did see that picture, actually. As soon as you started talking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that is a cool picture. And, yeah, 14-year-old Mario Lemieux looks like 14-year-old Mario Lemieux. There's no mistaking him there. When I got into hockey in uh, 89 i remember for my eighth grade graduation my mom bought me hockey skates and she bought me ice skating lessons so i remember that summer i was taking a skating lesson every week and then after that we'd go to a local card store and i remember buying a stack of like 50 cards for like two or three dollars i think it was like 50 cards from 81 82 tops for like 2.99 or something and i bought it because the top card was tony esposito who was my aunt's favorite player back in the day. If you've seen the 81-82 Tops or OPG Tony Esposito card, I mean, he's got his arm outstretched. He's making a glove save. It's it's a cool-looking yeah. card. So I bought that stack of cards just to have the Esposito card that was on top. And then I'm going through it, and, you know, I mean, there were other really good cards in there later on, but at the time they meant nothing to me. There was, like, a second-year Ray Bork card in there, and there was, like, the Gretzky Team Scoring Leaders card in there, and... It was basically all a bunch of cards from like 1 through 66, the national cards, if you know what I mean, from that set, the ones that were distributed in, in all the packs. But And I'm like, oh, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Guy La Flar? Or so I, I, that was the first time I saw his name. And my mom's like, oh, no, that's Guy Lafleur. He's French-Canadian. He's one of the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, she knew all about this guy. And I was just like, oh, this guy, this fellow, this Guy. And so that was the first time because, like, I saw that name and I just didn't – I had no idea who he was. I didn't have I, – I didn't know who most of these players were because between – I mean, I knew who Ray Bork was by that. And I'm like, oh, cool, a Ray Bork card. And I'm, like, going through it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this player, I kind of know him. He's he's still playing. You know, oh, Dennis Potvin. He's not Raymond, playing. Raymond Borku. Borku, right. Do you want to talk about some of our favorite Guy Lafleur cards? Like we did Absolutely. our favorite Mike Bossy cards? All right, why don't you go ahead and start this one off? My, you know, mine are in no particular order, but I'll throw one out there. One of my favorites is the 73-74 card with the red border 
mm-hmm. and and him smiling like someone in the background just told a joke. Knowing him, it was probably him that told the joke, and mm-hmm. he made all the cameramen laugh, and that's when they snapped the photo. So I like that one. I like the picture. I like to try to imagine what the joke was that they told that got him to smile like that, because that was early on in his career too. Mm-hmm. Doesn't take a rocket science to go back and look at look at his stats and figure out that his first few years in the league, it was kind of, eh, I don't know if this guy's going to pan out. So for him to have a smile on his face like that, that's pretty You know cool. what the game changer was for him is when he, when he lost the helmet. Oh, yeah. The first couple years in the league, he wore a helmet. And then when he took off the helmet, then he went on his uh, six consecutive seasons of 50 or more goals. Yeah. And that's a theme of a couple of my other cards on my list here do you have the 73 74 on your list i don't but it is a nice looking card okay well another one's my 71 72 because how could you not have his rookie card especially the the uh i think is it the opichi card they misspell his name or where they spelled the yeah, they, wrong there's a spelling error on that yeah. he doesn't have a tops card that year he only has the opichi yeah. card okay yeah, I knew there there is they spelled his name wrong on that card, which is interesting. You know, here's his rookie card. They spelled the guy's name wrong. So I like that one. Fortunately, that was the only time Opeachy ever made an error on a hockey card. Yeah, and it's never happened ever again. Now the errors are all intentional, but upper deck causes them. So I have the 7576, and the reason for that is it's kind of a, a unassuming card. It's a close-up of his face. Mm-hmm. But the reason why that card kind of cracks me up every time you look at it is I know there's a difference in lighting on the cards, and sometimes the older cards have different tints to the coloring. And especially mm-hmm. between the tops and OPG, there's kind of a, a slight difference in the coloration. But on both cards, distinctively, they look like he's sunburned and has raccoon eyes in that photo. And it cracks me up because it looks like he's really tan, super tan. But you can see mm-hmm. in his eyes where it looks like he's got the raccoon eyes going, like he was sitting out in the sun with sunglasses on for too long. Mm-hmm. I see it, yeah. I find that funny. These aren't probably aren't the most valuable cards, but I think they're the coolest because they mm-hmm. they kind of tell a story. I also picked the 78, 77, 78 card, number 200, because of the shot that they use, because it's kind of skating, and you can see that flow of his hair, mm-hmm. which he was known for. Is that hair flowing in the wind as he skated up and down the ice? That's a good one that shows that hair flying in the background. So that's one I like. My fifth card is a toss-up. They're both modern cards. And one of them you kind of touched on. Upper Deck made a tribute card for him back in 91-92. It says, the Fuller's Farewell. And it's kind of commemorating his retirement. And it's kind of apropos of a card at this time, you know, since he passed away. But it, it shows him wearing the um, Nordiques jersey, and he's kind of out center ice, waving to the crowd. It's got his stick up in the air, his gloves up in the air, you know, kind of waving to the crowd. And then there's a nice little write-up on the back, which a lot of it's summarized of some of the things that we talked about. So that's kind of a cool card. But also, you brought up, his his game was changed because he took the helmet off. There aren't a lot of cards out there that show him wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. Cause most of the cards, especially in the early seventies from rookie card onward, 
they're either staged studio type shots or they're mm-hmm. action shots and he had already lost the lid at that point but in 06 07 the parkhurst card shows an old photo of him still wearing the helmet and it's really funny to look at that card because knowing what you know that gila fleur looks like mm-hmm. you see this card and you almost think who is this on the picture because you know what to expect you know to see his face you know to see that that blondish brown hair you know whatever but if you look at that card he's wearing that lid Mm-hmm. And you look at that and you're like, wait a minute, who is this? This must be an error. This isn't Keila Fleur, but it is him wearing a helmet. And you don't see those cards very often. And I know it's kind of one of those tribute throwback type sets. But I think it's really cool that they chose that photo to use rather than kind of the standard ones that you would normally see. So those are some of my favorites from a photo standpoint. Definitely for sure. Now. If I went with my favorite that I own in my collection, well, I've talked about that one before, and I think you probably know what that one is, but I can share and say that that would be the in the game 1972 year in hockey. I have a patch card that I was able to pull out of a box that has a red, white, and blue patch from his jersey on it. And there is clearly a stain on the patch. And I'm not sure what that stain is. Could be sweat. Could be, you know, he spilled something on it. But in my head, it's a blood stain. (laughs) Because you can tell it's from the older jerseys that were washed and reused probably over and over and over. Because it wasn't like today where, you know, you might wear a jersey a couple times and they toss it out and give you a new jersey. This was back when that's your sweater and that's what you wear and so be it. I'll send you a shot of that. You can post it along with the uh, show notes just so people can see it and they can judge for themselves whether or not they think it's blood. And if you don't think it's blood, don't tell me because I'm going to continue to think it's blood. Just let him let him think it's blood. Let him and, let him believe. And one day I will have the card DNA tested, and then I will also clone it and create small minions of good hockey players. Part of my world takeover plan that I mentioned earlier. Oh yes, 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 an an army of good hockey players, of great yes. hockey players. You know, and, and that's another thing too. Like when we talked about Mike Bossy's cards. He only had a really limited set of cards because he played 10 seasons. And then after that, he had, you know, maybe like legend cards or Hall of Fame cards or whatever. But I mean, he played a longer time, played like 13, 14 years. And then he made a comeback. And then when he made a comeback, that was right during the junk wax era. So, I mean, he didn't just have one card in 90, He had like seven cards. Yeah, that's why it's hard to figure out which ones you want because there's so many of them and he had Mm -hmm. such a long career. And usually when I pick favorites, I try to keep it with, you know, normal base type cards. But I couldn't resist with throwing the tribute card in there and that 06, 07, just because of the picture that they use. Right. But I think all my other ones are more 70s oriented. So the cards that I picked, my favorite Gila Fleur cards. I have a fondness for the 84-85 set 
And so I like that card. I mean, he's skating, and, you know, it's a nice shot of him skating because he's skating and his head is up. But then there's that inset photo where he kind of has, like, a little bit of, like, a half smile on it, you know, because all the uh, 84, 85 tops and OPG cards have that little picture in the lower right corner. That's just a good card because it's action-oriented. And um, I want to say, like, the 78, 79 Record Breakers card is action-oriented, but he's looking down. Like, he's skating, but he's, like, kind of looking down, and so it's not as good of a uh, photo. But the 84, 85 Tops and Opeechee, I like that one. That's like 78, 79. I actually thought about that. The mm-hmm. only thing that I don't like about that card is it's a typical shot where it looks like they're skating in the dark. Right. You know, that typical 70s shot where the entire background is pitch black. Right, yeah. And yeah, that's the only thing that I'm like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it, it's hard finding a really great photo in the 70s. I mean, there were enough of them. You know, we could think of some cards and go, oh, yeah, that was a great photo. That was a great photo. But, I mean, it was really hard with those action-oriented shots. So, 84-85, I like that one. I also like 81-82. Even though it's not a great photo, that's the one where he's, like, kind of sitting on the bench and he's looking up a little bit. Um, oh, that's the one where it looks like he's looking up at the scoreboard, right? Yeah, and yeah. I like that card. I, I think I like it because I got it in that stack of random cards that I bought. And, you know, my mom and I, that was when we were like, she was driving me back from the card shop. And she's like, oh, yeah, Guy Lafleur, he was my favorite player or whatever. You know what I mean? So, like, we had a conversation about this card. But that was, like, the first time I, I saw him. And I'm like, who is Guy Lafleur, right? Or Lafleur. Like, I couldn't even pronounce french names right so i got a fondness for that card it's not a great card i like 8182 tops i like 8182 opg i guess that one i could flex on it's a good photo it's different it's different but then another one that i really like which i think a lot of people are gonna like maybe they'll send me angry tweets about this but i really like the 8990 tops card where he's a ranger I don't know why I like that card so much. It's really? he's skating. He's got his head up. I don't know. It's just, it's not a great photo. It's a little grainy. It's kind of got like a bluish tint to it. Like it just looks like it wasn't the best photo they could get of Lafleur. It looks like the only photo they could get of Lafleur. but there's just something really surreal about him in a Rangers Jersey. I actually forgot he played for the Rangers. I mean, it was just one year. It was his. It was his comeback season. He was, and um, I mean, if you think about it, Marcel Dion was also on the Rangers that year, and Phil Esposito was their coach. Yeah, yeah. One of those cases of you got to get the band back together. Well, just you know, you had all nostalgia. These seventies superstars all on on the Rangers in eighty eight, eighty nine. You know, it's a weird card to look at because you don't think of him as a Ranger. You know, some people, most people think of him as a, as a Canadian because that's what he was for most of his career. But I even can picture him as a Nordique. Like, I couldn't picture him as a Ranger at all. And somebody posted on Twitter today, it reminds me, they posted a, an older Gretzky card showing mm-hmm. him as a, a St. Louis Blue. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know he was. You remember that he was. But seeing him in a Blues uniform is just... It's very strange. Right. Because you just don't think of, you know, Gretzky as an oiler, sure. Gretzky as a king, sure. Gretzky as a ranger, sure. But you forget about that 
brief moment in time where he was a St. Louis blue mm-hmm. and seeing him in those jerseys is, is weird. Same with this card. Yeah. That's another card that I like. Plus then, it highlights his receding hairline too. <laughs> and then there were so many cards from like 90, 91 that I wanted to like pick. Cause I like the upper deck set that year. I love the pro set set that year, but I look at all of those cards and I go, yeah, okay. It's, Gila Fleur in a Nordiques jersey, and you can almost not go wrong with Gila Fleur in a Nordiques jersey because it just looks cool. It's a great-looking jersey, and it's a great player, so any of those cards would be fine. But another card that I picked was uh, the 91-92 Pro Set All-Star card, where he's in a Wales Conference Black All-Star uniform. So that the blue yeah. Nordiques gloves because they wouldn't they'd wear their own gloves but they'd wear all star uniforms otherwise and that was when Mike Milbury either didn't assign him to the team or they maybe he picked him but then Lafleur insisted that Sackick should be the player who goes so then the NHL invented the commissioner pick which they used for a couple of years to like pick those older players who were um, you know. Close to retirement. They had to figure out a way to get Guy Lafleur into the game. Sure. And so I like that card for a couple of reasons. I love all-star cards. I love the fact that Pro Set made everybody who was in the all-star game. Even like the guys who were injured, like Brett Hall, it, it has an uh, all-star card in that set. Chris Nyland does not, though, which is weird because he was technically an all-star or in the all-star game, but he wasn't because he was injured. Um, but Brett Hall was injured, and they included him anyway, because he's Brett Hall. But I got to see Lafleur play a couple of times. Whenever the Nordiques came to town, I'd beg my aunt and uncle to take me to the game, because I wanted to see the Quebec Nordiques, because they had cool jerseys. I also wanted to see them because they were a terrible team, and I knew the Blackhawks would win. And I also wanted to see them because they had Guy Lafleur on the team. And so, I remember one game, there were these two drunks behind us. This was a Nordiques game. And every time... Guy Lafleur came out on the ice. One guy would lean forward and he'd go, Guy Lafleur. And then the other guy would go, it's Guy Lafleur. <laughs> and the first guy would go, Guy Lafleur. And it was just, it was like comedy. These guys were just like piss ass drunk. And they were just, every time Lafleur came out on the ice, they were like cheering him because the guy's a legend, right? So, and it was cool to see him at that all-star game. So that's my fourth card. I, I assumed that the, one of the big reasons you like that card is because it's probably the only Gila Fleur card that has a Blackhawks logo on it because the All-Star game was in Chicago, so it's got the Blackhawks logo and the star. Yeah, I don't know if I count that, but okay. I'm sure you can't, you can't count it because you didn't play for him, but you can look at the card. Oh, he's on the Blackhawks because oh. he's got the black uniform and everything. I guess well, if you glanced at it and didn't know any better. I guess. You could probably but sell it on eBay as a one-of-one, the only oh. Gila Fleur card. When he was on the Blackhawks. Yeah. <laughs> the last card I'm going to pick is going to just be one of those weird cards that only Sal would think of. Although I mentioned it earlier. It's a 7172 Montreal Canadiens team issued postcard. And that's because that was the one my mom gave me that, that he autographed. There are pictures of it. I mean, you can find the card not autographed, obviously. Basically, if you wrote to um, a Habs player, I guess they would send you a postcard 
Um, and they even had like specialty envelopes with like the player's name printed in the return address area that I'm fond of. I mean, I do have his rookie card. I did end up getting it years later, but that signed team postcard, you know, and it just, again, I know you talked about how all those hockey photos in the 70s, they were really dark. That one is too, right? This one is, but it, it is, but in a different way, because and what I mean by that is like, a lot of those like tops photos just look bad because they're like dark, but then the player like maybe is hit with the flash. But these were a little more planned that way, where like the background is dark on purpose, the ice is a little bit lit, and then the players lit. It just looks cool. It almost looks like the players are merging from the shadows. A lot of those early seventies team issued postcards are like that. So I'll pick that as uh, one of my other favorites or. Maybe even my favorite because, yeah, you know, I like team issue stuff. And again, I have a happy memory attached to this. So, you know, I could go on and on about some of the other cards, like the 91, 92 score tribute cards that use paintings are cool. But, uh, you know, yeah, I forgot yeah. about those. Yeah, I mean, man, they really put a lot of time and thought into cards back then, didn't they? They would do like, hey, you know what? Let's commission three paintings of Guy Lafleur to commemorate his retirement for our hockey card set, right? And now we're just happy if Upper Deck doesn't use the same photo on five different cards the same year. Yeah, and I know you you picked the postcard. I had on my list originally the uh, 78 Sportcaster card. It's a nice one, too. Where he's being handed the Conn Smythe trophy. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there with the trophy, and I think it's... Uh, who's sitting there? I think... So is it Serge Savard sitting next to him, I think, with his arm around him? And I don't remember who the other guy is. Somebody in a suit. Mm. But I liked it, but then I thought, oh, this isn't really a card, per se. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of left it off my list. Yeah. But, but anyway, that's a, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of flower talk. But a lot good. of flower talk. It's good. Hey, so let's, let's talk about the Three Ice League. Oh, boy. I wanted what, to talk about what is the a, three ice league. Well, I wanted to talk about this for a while and I was really excited about it. And then like COVID came along and just like everything else just kind of like sidelined everything for two years. So it's a three on three hockey league. Three we like on three, three on three hockey. hockey. Huh? We like overtime hockey, right? Many of us, yes. We like the all-star game with the three on three format, right? We do, yes. So what if, hear me out on this, what if we just did a whole league where they just played three-on-three? You mean overtime all the time? Yeah, pretty much. Or like, or it could be like Wayne Gretzky 3D Hockey 98 for the PlayStation where you just play three-on-three. Okay. Three-on-three and a goalie, and then, you know. I'm listening. So that is the Three Ice League. It was going to start a couple years back. It's going to start in June. It is a league that is basically going to emphasize speed, I guess you could say. Well, I don't know about that. Well, yeah, you'd have to. But you have, uh, so let's see here. We got a couple, let's see, how many teams do we have? We have six. One, two, three, four, five, six teams. Okay, the original six. But get these names. Team Carboneau, Team Fuhrer, Team LeClaire, Team Mullen, Team Murphy, and Team Trottier. Stop me if you've heard any of these names before. Uh, I don't know. They don't sound familiar. <laughs> I think five out of six of them are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. 
I was going to say, and isn't the commissioner of the league also like Craig Patrick too? And we could argue that John LeClaire should be in the Hall of Fame. But basically, Guy Carboneau, Grant Fuhrer, John LeClaire, Joey Mullen, Larry Murphy, and Brian Trottier are the coaches. And then you have all the teams have six skaters and a goalie. Like I'm looking here right now at Team Carboneau, and it looks like their ringer is Aaron Palusha. I can't say his name. Aaron Palusha. He was a former Avalanche player. I know I have like a bunch of his rookie cards from like 10, 11, or 11, 12. And I know that like another guy in the league is um, TJ Hensick. I know I got a Crown Royale rookie card of his somewhere. And then I know Marty Broder's son, who's also a goaltender, is on one of the teams. It looks like most of the teams Jeremy, are guys. Yeah. He's on Team Carboneau, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy Broder, right. Looks yep. like his dad, too. I mean, at least the eyes, the the look on his face. He does look like a young Martin Broder. He's um, one of those little tiny kids on the Enterprise commercial. Only he's not oh. tiny anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Love that commercial. Yeah, where um, the little kids have the beards, have the playoff mm-hmm, beards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of them. I don't know which one, but he, I think he's one of them. So it looks like um, most of these teams have guys who played some in the NHL. Like it looks like they have like five guys who played minor pro or major junior, and then they have one guy who has NHL experience. And then they got a goalie. And who was the one guy that you said had the... The, the, the superstar of the league. You got yeah. Bugsy Malone. Brian Malone. Brian Malone. Yeah, Bugsy. He is on Grant Fuhr's team. Um, yeah, so... It, he played in the NHL for like 10 years, played for a variety of teams, most notably on the Penguins and also on the Lightning. And, I mean, he's... He's kind of a legend in Pittsburgh. Why is that? Just because he came from that 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 whole era leading up to Crosby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget what they called them. They had they had a name. It was that whole era of the early two thousands, like when Flurry was a rookie and everything else. So they were exciting to watch those teams. They weren't very good, but they were fun to watch. He was part of those groups. Well, you should. There should be another reason why. Um... Why he's a, a legend in Pittsburgh. Well, his dad, too. Well, and Ryan's from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And his dad, Greg, played in Pittsburgh. Yep. Anyway, I'm excited about this three-on-three hockey league. It's going to play during the summer, during the time that I'm like, God, I wish there was another sport besides baseball. I mean, I'd be such a football fan. If football was like a summer sport, I'd watch football. Even though I like to make fun of all the stoppages of play and all the clock this and that. And, you know, I hear stuff like clock management and it just makes ugh, just makes me want to hurl, throw up, vomit, like Denny Lemieux would say in Slapshot, right? You mean you're not you watching the, the USFL right now? Are they still on or did they disband after four games? Uh, if you ask the fans, they disbanded. The games are still on, but no one's... No one's going to them. Let's put it that way. I, I think there's a rule that the league has to fold once the cards come out. Kind of like when the AAF football cards came out, like the week after the league folded. Yeah. 
ridiculous. Well, that, that fan-controlled league is still apparently around, and also the XFL is going to be making its triumphant comeback again, supposedly. So maybe you will have summer football. I'm not asking for summer football. I'm just asking for something that's not baseball during the summer. Well, I guess since we can't have uh, the beach roller hockey league, this is the next best thing. That would be great. Yeah. Oh, man. Pro beach hockey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, PBH. Or, uh, yeah, Roller Hockey International for the couple of years, six, seven years that it lasted. I'd be all over a Roller Hockey League. I mean, I even talked about what if the women's hockey was in the summer. I'd watch it. I'd like be like, yay, there's hockey. I'm so excited. So I'm pretty excited about there being a, uh, a summer league. I think three-on-three is interesting. I think what's interesting is the player selection. Every team I was able to pick off one guy and say, oh, yeah, he did play in the league. And then you click on the guy, and then he's got his bio, and it'll say, and he played 30 games with the St. Louis Blues or whatever, right? But, you know, being a hockey card collector, you, you see these names. But then I also saw that Rob Flick, who was a Blackhawks draft pick, and he played a long time in the AHL with the Rockford Ice Hogs. So I see he's on one of the teams. I thought the teams are going to actually be more ex-NHLers trying to get back into the NHL. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of what I thought. Like, guys who are, like, maybe first-line AHL guys trying to get back into the NHL. But then again, if they're first-line AHL guys, they're probably on contract. So I'm going to assume all of these guys don't have NHL contracts because the NHL teams aren't going to be like, yeah, go play summer hockey and blow out your knee, right? They're going to be like, no, take it easy. Don't hurt yourself this summer. See you in the fall at training camp, right? Yeah, either that or the guys have been retired for a while but are still in at least enough physical shape to be able to go out there and still play the game. I was looking up the rules to this, and Mm -hmm. it's very, very interesting how they have this thing set up. You know, with six teams, each of them has six skaters and one goalie. And essentially, it's just up and down and up and down and up and down the ice with the three on three. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought it was interesting. They have no power plays. So Mm -hmm. any penalties are a penalty shot. Nice. And the coach gets to pick whoever gets to take the shot. So it doesn't have to be the guy that was offended. And eventually, I heard them talking about they're going to make it so fans can log on to the app during the game. And if there's a penalty, fan vote will choose who gets to take the shot. Oh, no. Yeah. You know so what that they're, means? They're going to do some interaction. That means that John Scott is going to be taking every penalty shot. And he's not even in this league. How did they yeah. do that? I don't know. But the fans have demanded it. So the MVP, MVP, right? So it's got to oh, happen no. now. Another thing, no overtime at all. So if the game basically ends in a tie, they go to a one-round shootout until there's a winner. Wow. So that was on there. Goalies can play the puck anywhere. Good. So if a goalie wanted to Patrick Waugh and skate out to the blue line or center ice and shoot the puck, then so be it. So they have that. Uh, What was the other thing? Oh, if the puck goes over the glass and hits the netting and comes back onto the ice, no whistle. Keep playing. Mm. So I thought that was interesting, too. Hmm. Yeah. So the puck wow. hits up off the netting and drops back on the ice. Keep playing. 
these are some real beer league rules right here where I feel like they're renting the ice by the hour, right? Like, well, it didn't go out of play, so it's still in play, and we're going to do a one-round shootout. I mean, it's, I like it's basically we'll just go back and forth until somebody scores and whoever scores wins. Yeah, I get it. So, I get it. No, it's not like sudden death, or it's not like the current rules in the NHL where you go back and forth for three rounds and, you know, best of three. This is whoever scores first, game over. Um, there's no coaches' oh. challenges either. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, no coaches' challenges, no instant replay for offsides, none of that. It is what it is. <laughs> Just go. Just go and score. I kind of feel bad for the goalies, to be honest. I mean, well, they can play get, the puck, so it's okay. They can play the puck, but they're going to get peppered. I mean, yeah, well... Yeah, it's going to be like... Uh, These games um, are going to be like 17 to 14. They're going to be like final scores. I, Although, I don't know how many you can score. I don't know how many goals you can score, because I think it said that there are two eight-minute halves. And it's a running clock. So, I guess the whole wow. point is to tour. I guess that's what their whole thing is, is they're setting up these teams and they're going out on tour. So, anywhere where they go... It's a tour, and it'll be a tournament between all six teams playing against each other at each of the events. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I saw the setup. So I don't know if they've changed that since then, but that seemed to be what the plan was. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting. That's for sure. I'll at least watch a game or two. Depending on things, I'll probably mark my calendar and watch as many games as I can, depending on what my social life is like this summer. I just pulled up their schedule and... Uh, doesn't look like they're coming anywhere around where we are. Hmm. Closest, closest place would be Grand Rapids. Ugh. Are they going to, like, put games on TV at all or stream them or know. something? That part I don't know. I'm sure we'll hmm. be able to find it somewhere. With all the streaming services and everything else that are out there, I'm sure it'll be somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nowhere else, maybe through their website. Yeah, I'm looking at right this right now. So we got games in Las Vegas, Denver, Grand Rapids. Hershey, London, Ontario, Pittsburgh, Quebec City, Nashville, and then the playoffs are going to be in Vegas. And the league is going to start uh, June 18th, and it is going to go until August 20th. So should be kind of cool. And for all you Penguins fans, the announcers, Steve Mears on play-by-play and Bob Airy on color. Wow. So there you go. All right, let's uh, let's talk some hockey cards. Let's do it. Let's see here. So the rumor is that 21-22 Upper Deck Series 2 will be mid-June to correspond with the Expo. And extended, still showing up as June 8th, will be closer to the start of next season. This is like if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around to see it, does anybody care? If Upper Deck Series 3 comes out at the start of the next season, does anybody care by then? I can still find extended at my local Target. Yeah, yeah keep in I, mind, and, and and don't add us on this. Is that, is that how you say it? Don't add us. Don't uh, at me, bro. Yeah, exactly. We can neither confirm nor deny these rumors. This is just the buzz that's been floating around out there on social media over the last few weeks. Because let's face it, Series 1's been out for a while. Series 2 is nowhere to be found, and there's not a single retailer or wholesale distributor that has a date posted for it yet. A lot of the sell sheets 
still have extended coming out in June, but it's already May and we don't have series two. So you can't imagine extended is going to come out before series two. And if they're still planning on releasing them as two separate series, I wouldn't imagine they would piggyback one off the other because that would destroy the sales of one of the products. Right. So they're going to have to spread them out. And it only makes sense that they would put one of them in, in conjunction with the expo because that's generally what they used to do all the time for the fall. Is series one would come out in conjunction with the expo because they could send pallets and pallets and pallets of the stuff up to Toronto and just wipe it out pretty quick. So right. That you would have make your rapper sense. redemptions yeah. for the fall expo. Sure. And your spring expo. So that would make sense. You know, again, whether it's true or not, we don't know because it's all speculation. But hey, when you don't have a whole lot of hockey releases, you gotta speculate. So I think that really what Upper Deck needs to do is obviously they need to get Series 2 out ASAP, but by June, and then they need to get Extended Series out by the National, because that's the next big show. I remember they had Extended out for last year at the National, and I remember buying three boxes. I mean, the National's like its own thing. People are going to be more into baseball than hockey, but there was a lot of people buying hockey still. But I feel like, yeah, you, you have your biggest, most popular set. You need to have it out for the certain date. You need to have Series 1 out in November for the November Expo and also for the Sports Card Spectacular in Chicago in November. And then usually, what, Series 2 comes out around March-ish? If, if not, right before that, yeah. Right. So by the time the May show rolls around in Toronto, it's out, but it's also out for the March show in Chicago. Again, this show being second biggest to the national, right? And then, you know, the national's its own thing. But now that you got three sets, series one, series two, and extended, I feel like if extended series comes out too much later than that, like if it comes out in August or September, I mean, at what point if, do people just stop caring? Like, unless there's a really good rookie I mean, look at look at the extended series from 21-22. We thought that set was going to be more popular than it was. We both liked the set, although you were a little more measured. Did. You liked the inserts from it, but you didn't yeah. go haywire buying, like, tons of it. No, I didn't. I bought enough to get what I needed to put most of the base, base set, set together. together. Right. But I wasn't, you know, looking at that. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but looking at the young gun checklist at the time you you were just it was a who's who of nothing right and i mean really fast forward and the only notable young gun in there i would say would be michael bunting in mm -hmm. the extended mm -hmm. set so obviously that's a good one considering how he's like a really old guy but still a rookie right um, by comparison but you're right, you know, having these corresponding with the shows, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. And for the National, I mean, think about this, you know, let's say the Rangers somehow win the Stanley Cup. You got a show in New Jersey right in the backyard. You would definitely want to have new product out there for hockey. I know the National's never a really big hockey show necessarily, but Rangers win the Cup. I would think it'd be a priority to get that product out into people's hands. Right. Right, yeah. Especially if you've got guys in it. Because Series 2 and Extended have an opportunity. Now, obviously, we haven't seen checklists yet, but 
considering the young guns that were in series one versus what's still left available for series two and, and extended a lot of the notable rookies haven't shown up yet. I mean, you look at the top 10 or top 20 rookies in the league this year, statistics wise, not a lot of them have cards out there yet. Mm-mm. There's quite a few that are still missing. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah, I agree. You're right. Especially if we're back on time, because it seems like everything is listed tentatively on time for next year so far because they've already announced 22-23 Series 1. And, you know, it's tentatively going to come out in conjunction with the Fall Expo like it used to. So mm-hmm. you'll probably see that product set first, second week of November. So now we're already getting sell sheets for 22-23 Upper Deck Series 1. Right. I'm sorry, it's just hard for me to get excited about next year's cards when we're still waiting for some of last year's cards to come out. I understand that there's production problems, but at what point do you just start letting go of, well, I wouldn't let go of Series 1 or Series 2, and I understand that it's a business and they need to make money, but put it to you this way. If you're a teacher and you give your homework, your students' homework assignments every week, right? And you give them, say you give them 10 assignments for 10 weeks, right? Every week you give them an assignment. Let's say you're behind on giving assignments. You might say, okay, you know what? Let's just forget the first two assignments because we're already into week seven now. You know what I mean? Like at this point, let's just focus on kind of like what's current and what's coming up and not worry so much about stuff that is like water well under the bridge. It's like at what point do you cut your losses, right? Right, and I understand that, like, they got to put out the AHL set because that's a deal with the AHL. They got to put out the CHL set because that's a deal with the CHL, and these are different things. But, I mean, look, dude, we were talking about 2021 Metal Universe in, like, right before this started the 21-22 season. I mean, at what point does it just, like, I don't say if you stop caring, but like, all right, it's one thing to collect vintage cards from the 70s, and it's another thing to collect cards of the players that you're watching on TV right now. But I, I feel like some of these cards we're getting, it's like they're already like kind of a year old by the time we buy them. So they're not old enough to be vintage because they're only like from like the last year, but they're not current. Yeah, that's the hard thing to grapple with because. We talk about that from a collector's standpoint, and it's a very frustrating thing. But we've had guys from Upper Deck on the show before, and we've discussed the problems that they have and production and how the production process works. And it's mm-hmm. this stuff is planned well in advance for right. when things go down. Right. So if somebody throws a wrench in, into the into the you know gears and mucks the whole thing up by saying, "Oh, well, guess what? We can't get the." whatever pound cardstock paper that we usually use for this stuff until we're 120 days out. Well, that pushes everything forward. And we've kind of talked about that. And it's like, from a collector's standpoint, you get in your mind, like, this should have been out already. Where's this guy? The season's almost over. Now the season's over. The playoffs started. We still don't have series two. There's tons of rookie cards we haven't seen. 
there's tons of this product we haven't seen. We haven't seen this. We haven't seen that. And it's like, is the stuff still going to come out? It was planned. It hasn't been deleted. It hasn't been announced that it was canceled. Yet we still don't have a checklist. We still don't have anything for it. You know there is a checklist. No one's released it. Because if the stuff went into production, there has to be, or if it was planned for production, there has to be a checklist somewhere for some of these products. Yet nothing's released to the public for public consumption because we don't have a time frame. And that's the frustrating part is no one knows anything. And we won't because that's not privy information that the public needs to know because God forbid a little bit of that info comes out, people will lose their minds and they'll be rioting and picketing and everything else, especially on Twitter. But I think to your point, what you're saying is you'd like to think that there's a point in time where you could just say, okay, enough is enough. You know, we're already a year out. We're two years out. We're a year and a half out, whatever it is. We can't do this. You know, and, and one of one of the things coming up is Upper Deck Ice is is on the on the docket to come out in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we know of in 2021 is they canceled ice. But for 21-22, they've advertised that each box will have a pack of 2021 ice in it. So you'll have a box of 21-22 with one pack of 2021. Mm-hmm. But it'll be the rookie from that class or an auto or, or an ice premiere or whatever, whatever that may be from that set. I mean, think about it. You're upper deck, right? You can't mm-hmm. kill flagship. Mm-mm. doesn't matter if you have one series, two series, three series, ten series. You can't kill flagship because the young guns are in there and that's pretty much your bread and butter. And that's what drives the market for the product. You pretty much can't kill the cup. I mean, you can. You could, but considering I'm going to go with there's a very high, high markup that you'd be remiss to eliminate. Yeah. However, guess what? We never had 2021 Cup. Never even had an announcement for it. And here we are at the end of 21-22, the end of the season, going into the playoffs. Usually the Cup announcement or at least release comes right before the start of the very next season. So we're getting to that time frame, and now we're going to have another release that hasn't been announced. But I still stand by that. You can't kill the cup. Not my product. I don't like the product. I mean, it's cool, but I can't afford it. It's way out of my price range, but you can't kill mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. SP is another one. You can't really kill SP because the future watch autos is a staple right. of the hockey hobby. Yet here we are again. There was no SP, no sign of it. Where is it? It was supposed to have been out, never came out. And so here we are, nothing. And I would probably say, to a lesser extent, ICE with the ICE premieres. But yet, last year, they made the announcement of canceling it. So this year, to kind of make up for that, they're throwing the product kind of together. So, And people don't like getting last year's rookies in this year's product. I mean... Opeachy Platinum does it all the time where they have those buybacks or those mm-hmm. late, late print autographs and stuff like that that they didn't have at the time of the release of the original. So they buy back their product, get the stuff signed, and then repurpose it and put it back into the product. So, I mean, obviously, it's just like anything else. 
somebody somewhere is going to find something to complain about. But again, collectors overall, hockey collectors are patient, but we're borderline like insanity at this point, kind of. Well, yeah, there's just nothing to collect, really. Yeah. I mean, and if they don't get caught up, that's the thing. If Upper Deck doesn't get caught up with current and what's been announced, or turn around and say, you know what? We had plans for this product. We're just going to put the kibosh on it, maybe resurrect it later on with a different design or something. That's fine. It'd be awesome if they would do that because then we at least know and we can put a stamp on it and be done with it and move on to the next thing. Because if they're going to stay on track, really, how can you stay on track? You want to throw out series two in a month and then throw out extended series two, three months after that. And then two months after that, you're going to do series one of the, of the next year's product. I mean, is that what we're going to do now? That's fine. Two months, I'd be okay with that. Every two months, that's fine. I mean, if you think about back in the day, you might have a set in September or October, and then you might have series two in like March. And now we got like more cards and we have like basically what is a series three. I mean, I'm like so ready for series two right now. I've bought a lot of series one and I'm kind of at the point where like, Now I just want to pick away at the rest of the young guns that I need for series one and then start buying some boxes of series two and hope that I get, you know, the good rookie cards so I don't have to pay like through the nose. Like I was lucky enough to pull a Cole Caulfield and two Trevor Zegris cards, actually rookie cards from my upper deck series one boxes. Right. So I don't have to like overpay for them like I did last year when I had to buy Kirill Kaprizov and Alexei Lafreniere on the secondary market because I didn't get any of them in in any of the packs that I bought. But like, I mean, that's part of it. That's part of the gamble. You buy some packs or boxes and you hope to get the good cards and then you don't have to like spend a lot of money buying them. Right. But, you know, I, I don't care. Just get some cards out and get rid of the crap that I don't buy. I know not everything is crap to everybody. This is Upper Deck is printing just for Sal. Well, okay, hold on, though. I like OPG, but eh, just make it a box set and move on. Uh, The MVP box set. I know, I know, I know. I'm kidding, but not really. You can do it with MVP because that's low, low end. You can't do it with OPG because that's the next step up and it's the biggest set. Yeah, that's the only difference is that it's the biggest set. MVP cards are nicer. I don't know about that. Oh, by the way, the uh, MVP box set is now available. Great. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, eventually I'll get around to buying one. Um, What color are these ones? Don't know. Just saw it on Target.com and said, yeah, I'll have to buy that. Is it 50 Um, bucks? 35. 35, okay. 35 for 250 cards. And I think it comes with some sort of a bonus pack or something of something or others. Usually that's Um, See, but the thing is, like, I could do without a lure. I'm looking at this list here where you say, no updates on the following, right? You said SPX. I think you meant SPA. No, SPX is is on the list for twenty one twenty two. Okay, so SPX and SPA, right? Um. Well, we we haven't seen SPA from twenty twenty one. Right. Okay. Gotcha. But let's just say. Let so alone twenty one twenty two. SPX, SPA, OPG Platinum, Synergy, Metal Universe, Black Diamond, Allure, Artifacts, right? Yep, no sign or date for any of those that are All right. I'm that were announced by Upper Deck. Artifacts, gone. Allure, gone. Black Diamond, keep. Metal Universe, keep. Synergy, bye-bye. 
Opeachy Platinum, eh, gotta keep it. SPX, I don't care. I know, not all of these cards are made for me, but I'm just looking now like, you gotta keep the cup because that's your high-end set, and you gotta keep your low-end set, right? Like, I feel that, like, you need to make those different tiers of sets, but I look at some of these, and to me, they're more or less the same tier. Artifacts and Allure. I don't put them on the same level. They're like 100 bucks a box-ish. Well, they were pre-pandemic, right? Yeah, Allure boxes are closer to 150. Artifacts, depending on the year, have shot way up, especially considering some of the stuff that you can pull out. I mean, the key to Artifacts has always been it's the first mid-range product that has rookie redemptions in it and things like that mm-hmm. for players that are to be named later. And also, the vast majority of the hits are all some type of combination of jersey, patch, whatever. And that's always right. been the big draw to that. That and the numbered parallels and the numbered, the high numbered serial numbered cards. Basically, anything past 100 was always like short printed, serial numbered, and everything else. But, you know, I could take or leave artifacts. I mean, there's other products that can replace that. I could take or leave Allure as long as you keep OPG Platinum. Because I think there needs to be some type of chrome or chromium product still there. Synergy, I've spoken out against Synergy so many times. If you're going to still make this, I'm perfectly fine with throwing it back on EPAC permanently Mm -hmm. and just making it uh, meld these cards and it'll be a real card and we'll just do a limited printing of whatever. I think they could do that and get away with it. Mm -hmm. Metal Universe, sure, keep that. Black Diamond, I don't like Black Diamond. Right. I haven't liked Black Diamond since it was an actual real set. Ever since it went to the super premium, I'm, I can do without. But to your point on the cup, yeah, cup's the high end, but do we need that anymore? We still have Opeachy Premier, which is also high end. If they bring Black Diamond out, that's high end. If they keep Ultimate around, that's kind of high end. So I don't know. Do you all just change the collation of those or combine them all together and come out with like one product that's like upper deck? uber expensive like a rookie update type set that has kind of like cards from everything yeah combine it all together in one product we'll call it upper deck overpriced and we'll have like a dollar sign as the logo for it and it'll be five cards one card from each of the high-end sets and you'll get four rookies no you'll get four autographs or patch cards or orum parallels you'll get one base card because they have to throw in a base card in there for some odd reason it'll be numbered out of 249 and it'll feature a player that has already changed teams three times since the beginning of the season oh mark andre Fleury, probably sure you know (laughs) So that's my idea. Upper deck overpriced. That's what it'll be called. So upper deck overpriced would be the equivalent to Panini Cash Grab, which was another set that yes. we talked about. Good old anthology. Panini <laughs> oh, Cash Grab. Oh, you really meant a set. Yeah. Okay. Good, uh, Panini Cash Grab. We haven't talked about that set in a long time. Anthology they... for Cash Grab, which is... That, our... It's the same set. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's oh, what okay. I... Yeah, Anthology is what I called Panini Cash Grab because basically they emptied out everything hockey-related in their warehouse 
and just made generic cards. Oh, here's a patch. It's the entire card. Who is it? I don't know. It's a blue patch. So whoever you want it to be, that's who it is. Mm-hmm. And that was like every card in that set. So I think with all these releases, kind of makes sense when you can have a set come out every month. Because I get it. Like there are some collectors who will buy everything every month when it comes out. I don't know if that's like you, but you tend to buy a lot of the cards that I don't buy. Like you're the kind of person who goes, yeah, I saw these cards and they look dumb, but I bought a box anyway, right? Which is cool because you're adventurous, right? Like, I'm like, ah, what the hell? And I will be like, I don't want anything this month. I'm going to wait until next month and I'm going to double down on this other set, right? Like when I looked at like Allure, Platinum and Metal Universe and I said, you know what? I'm going all in on Metal Universe and I did. Granted, it was with blaster boxes, but still, I'll look and I go, eh, there's nothing I want in January. Oh, but in February, this set is coming out, right? And so it's okay. Like, if you have a different set come out every month, that's fine. You can have hockey cards all year round. That's great. I love it. I honestly love it. But I think that, like, when you have all these sets come out super late and potentially at the same time, then it's like, why are you buying it, right? Like, you ask yourself, why do you buy hockey cards? Like, you and I like to build sets. Other people, they like to get the exciting new rookies and hope that they pan out. But put it to you this way. We talked about this before in hypotheticals. So who's the big name in Series 2? Byfield, right? Quinton Byfield? From last year? He's going to be in Upper Deck Coming Series up. 2 this year. Um, yeah, because he wasn't in Series 1. I don't know if you would say he'd be the big one. Cause well, but originally, that's why they held him back, because they thought he was going to be a big deal. Yeah. Bigger deal than he has been. I think the big draw is probably going to be Mo Sider. Okay. Who do you think might win the Calder this year? I'm not going to argue. Just throw out a name. It's hard to argue with Zegers right now. Mm-hmm. So mm. At this point, I don't know. Okay, bad, bad example. Let's say... What I'm what I want to talk about is actually he would be a good example. If a box of cards comes out, if Upper Deck Series 2 comes out, and whoever ends up winning the Calder trophy is in Upper Deck Series 2, and that doesn't come out until September or July or whatever, when like the surprise is already spoiled, that's gonna make that opening price for that product be like way higher than it normally would be you know it's like i see what you're saying because i mean so here if you look at the top rookies for the season see now we can talk about it because the season's over and there aren't that many top rookies still on teams that are alive in the playoffs so right you know we mentioned michael bunting already well he was an extended for last year last year right he's off the list the guys had 63 points of the season 23 goals 40 assists Trevor Zegers is number two on that list. So he was in series one. Yeah. He has 61 points for the year. You got Lucas Raymond. You got Mo Sider. You got Anton Lundell, mm-hmm. Cole Caulfield, Dawson Mercer, mm-hmm. Tanner Janot. I think Seth Jarvis is on there. And I believe Matt Boldy would be on that list. Well, we already know that Matt Boldy doesn't have a young gun. And we've already seen on the upper deck sell sheet that he's going to be in next year's product as a young gun. He's in series one of 22-23. So the number 10 top rookie of this year is in series one of next year. Right. So he's off the list. 
So of those other guys, Cole Caulfield's already been put out. Zegers has already been put out. You get the point. Lucas Raymond and Sider, neither of them are. So they've got to be in series two, you would think. I guess my point is, is like, it's one thing when you buy cards and they have the potential to go up in value and demand because of potential performances by players, right? But it's another thing when, let's say Upper Deck Series 2 comes out, and let's say that, like, okay, maybe the Calder Trophy winner's not in that, but let's say there's, like, seven really popular guys who have rookie cards in that set. That's going to make those packs through the roof, not retail, because that doesn't really change in price so much, although retail packs have cost more this year than in the past, because why is a blaster box of six packs $20? It shouldn't be that high, but it is. Why is a mega box of 10 packs $40, right? Those ships have sailed. I don't think we're coming back from that. No, and I get that, but it's just, it's like, it's almost not fun anymore, right? Like I'm going to be finishing my 21, 22 set sometimes in early 2023. I'll be finishing a set from a year and a half ago. And I'll be like, oh, look, Marc-Andre Fleury, pictured as a wild, but now he's with the Oilers or whatever, right? I mean, it's just... Is this going to go down, you know, 10 years from now when we're looking back on the sets from this era? Are we going to call this the COVID era trading card sets? We're going to call 2021 the bubble hockey set. And 21-22 will be the year that time forgot. (laughs) And 22-23 will be... Who knows? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like 12-13, right? Where you had Upper Deck Series 1, but no Series 2. You had like um, a Series 1 that was missing a lot of the best players. So then they ended up putting cards of guys like Patrick Kane ended up in like SP Authentic because Upper Deck realized that, oh, we made an Upper Deck Series 1 that was lacking a lot of the good players that we were going to put in Series 2, but we didn't make a Series 2 because we couldn't put any rookie cards in series two because we didn't have any rookies because we didn't have a season until january of 2013 i think that started up right so that was an odd year to collect if you remember 12 13 yeah it was and even still is if you're trying to build that upper deck set because those those sp i mean i'm gonna guess they're short printed because they weren't they weren't full packs of them they were just inserted into the product but right huge huge resale value on those right they were hard to find yeah i mean i guess that's the thing is that there's all this stuff that's just kind of in limbo and series one tins will be out at the end of the month middle of the month lab president's choice solid gold will begin shipping (laughs) chl will either be june 22nd or august 31st we're not sure and then yeah i've seen multiple dates on that so yeah. One thing about CHL and AHL all the time, there mm-hmm. will be an there will be an EPAC version. There always has been. I mean, the same thing goes for Parkhurst. I heard people talking about Parkhurst and saw a sell sheet for it um, with a couple preview images one. and everything. Parkhurst will be in retail for the people that don't do EPAC, but you ask my opinion, that should be left as an EPAC product because okay, of how on. they market it. Uh, because it's a uh, it's one of those products where they go heavy on the collect five of this card and meld it into this next card, collect mm-hmm. five of that card, meld it into this next one or mm-hmm. go after the achievements because those achievements are kind of crazy because 
at least with Parkhurst last year, I mean, you got 100 of the one base card. You could turn it into a low, very low print run version of, you know, that base card. So it would be like an emerald version. And there were only so many of them. And, you know, the first 10 people, the first 20 people or whatever it was to get it, got that card. So, I mean, once it was out, once it's gone, it's gone. So I think those achievements play well with that Parkhurst set because most people aren't priced out of it. And it gives you that extra dimension of collectability to be like, all right, I'll play this game. You know, I'll try to collect and trade and, you know, get as many of whoever and try to build it up to turn it from a base card to a gold card, from a gold card to a platinum and from a platinum to a emerald and, you Mm -hmm. know, so on and so forth down the line. And I think it plays well that way. Not only that, they always do those tall boys, which are the puzzle cards. So there's like either a bottom and a top or three pieces, bottom, middle, top. Mm-hmm. And you put those together, turn it into an actual real card. So there's a lot of dimensions to the EPAC version of that. But, you know, EPAC's not for everybody. You know, we talk about EPAC a lot on the show. And there's a lot of collectors out there that have talked to me and they're like, I don't get it. I don't like it. It's not for me. I understand that. It's probably the closest you'll get to an NFT without an NFT. Let's put it that way. And that turns a lot of people off to say, oh, well, this is digital and this is digital only. The nice thing about EPAC is it's digital to a point and then it becomes physical and you can get the cards or send them to Com C or mm-hmm. ship them from there or ship them wherever and trade and sell and do whatever you need to with them as part of your collection like you normally would with a normal card. But not everything is like that. There is a lot of digital, and some people don't like that aspect. So they'll put Parkhurst in retail. You'll find it in Walmart. You find it in Meyer stores. You find it in a couple other places. But there'll be blaster boxes of it. There'll be fat packs of it. There usually always is. But it's just another product that generally comes out about this time of year, middle of May-ish. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that hits, too. <laughs> you know, Again, that's not a product for everybody. It's more low-end, I think. So anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I hate to end on like almost like the doom and gloom of the whole thing. You know, we spend time talking about another hockey hero gone too early and then the rest of the time about how we don't have any hockey cards because they're all delayed. So we hate to sound like the bearer of bad news when it comes to that kind of thing, but it's uh, sometimes just, just how it is. It's just one of those things. That's where we're at right now. As far as hockey hobby, not that there isn't product out there. There is product out there. You know, Series 1 is still available. You can pick Series 1 up. You can still find MVP. You can still find OPG. Mm-hmm. You can still find some of the late release products from last year on most shelves. It's just a matter of the waiting game, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And again, these dates were all tentative that we've thrown out there. They could change. But these are just up to the minute as of this recording of what we know or what we've heard. Well, okay then. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell people that you know about it. Please give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at The Real DFG. Also, if you get a chance, please give us a write-up or review on Apple iTunes Music. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.